Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you guys. Uh, today, I'm going to, uh, Stephen's going to preach today here in a moment. Yeah, it's going to be great. I just want to let you know really quick, uh, I was out obviously a little bit in November on my trip, and then now Stephen's preaching again. I just want to explain why that is. Um, first of all, Stephen's an amazing preacher, but there's a reason also that I asked him to preach. Uh, we've been going through John, most of you know, and so this week we arrived at John chapter 3, which is what G- Stephen is going to preach, the story of Nicodemus. And most of you probably don't remember, but maybe you do. I actually preached that earlier this year because it is an epiphany text. And so we were walking through the church calendar during the season of epiphany. I preached John chapter three, the story of Nicodemus. Um, Because I preached it earlier this year, obviously there's a few options. I could have preached it again, um, which I'm sure you would have been really excited about. Um, We could have skipped it. Or what I did was I thought it was really important that we not skip it, uh, especially this is a great place to see the difference between preaching from the church calendar and preaching in the context of John going verse by verse. I actually talk about this all the time. I have this affinity for the church calendar and for liturgy and for what the seasons mean and how those seasons help us order our life in contrast to the seasons that are ongoing in the world. I really love the church calendar, which is why we do it here once every three years. Some people say, why don't you do it every year if you love it so much? Well, it's because I also have this other love, and that is walking verse by verse through books of the Bible so that instead of flying like 10,000 feet over these texts, or like in the case of Epiphany, taking John chapter 3 and pulling it out and just talking about it in the context of Epiphany, one of the things you're going to see today is when you don't do that, when you allow the full context of John to flow into the story and let it find itself where it is in the story in the gospel, um, there's so many, what I would call like micro narratives, things that you can't see if you're just going to fly over 10,000 feet and pull it out one time a year and not look at what's around and in the context of John. And so we're going to get to actually see a beautiful example of that having already preached John chapter three, which is going to sound, have sounded totally different than the way that we're going to hear it today, because today we're going to hear it in the context of John's gospel. And so things that we've been hearing from Johans about the wedding in Cana, things that I talked about last week about Jesus cleansing the temple. All of those things are going to come into play today, except it's going to happen in this personal encounter with Nicodemus. And so that's what Stephen's going to talk to us about. So I would like to pray for Stephen, and then he's going to share with us uh, the scripture from John chapter three. Sound good? So let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, today and for this church. Thank you for the season, season of increasing light. I pray that every heart and mind, body and spirit in this room has already felt encouraged, even by the truths that we've sung, about how light has indeed dramatically increased in this world through the person and work of Jesus Christ. I also pray that as we move beyond singing and into opening our hearts and our minds to your word, I pray that light would continue to increase, that your story would prevail in our lives against all of the other competing narratives. So would you please anoint Stephen as he proclaims your word? Would you give him a a clear mind and would you help him to have clear speech? And would we be encouraged as Stephen preaches the word by the power of your spirit and in Jesus name we pray, amen. Um, before we get started, I actually just want to tell Chris and the band, thank you. That was amazing. I don't even know. I don't know what happened, but that last song was like, all of them, but the last song was 
like really moving to me for some reason. Uh, and you guys do a great job like week in and week out. And so, man, thank you so much. Like you really are a gift to this church and you guys really do a lot. Uh, and uh, in some really significant ways, we could probably just end there and go home and actually be encouraged. Uh, but the Lord hasn't uh, made it in that way today. And so I'm gonna be uh, sharing the word with you all today. And so uh, if you are our guest today, you know, we're really glad that you're here. Um, as Joel said, my name is Stephen Rodriguez, and I am a part of Lamar Park North House Church. And so uh, if you're not a part of a house church, we would love for you to come join ours. We meet on Wednesdays uh, at 6, and um, we actually boast the best food out of all the house churches, and, and all the house churches will say amen. Yeah. Right? Okay, I heard it. Um, but really, we would love for you to come and, and join us and and um, just be a part of what we are doing. Uh, and so today I actually have the privilege of bringing the word of God to you all, uh, and that's really weighty in a lot of ways. You can ask Alexa, uh, you know, last night at midnight how weighty it was for me. Um, and, uh, but also, I'm really grateful, actually. Um, you know, I don't, like I'm not doing ministry from nine to five. I do something else from nine to five or actually 8.30 to 5.30. And I'd love to talk to you about it actually after maybe um, see if I can help you out. But, um, right, there you go, Bobby. Um, but really, you know, why that matters is because um, I in some ways think that um, God put a dream in, in my heart and um, potentially pastoring is something that could happen in the future. And so this is an outworking of that. And so I've only been able to preach a handful of times, um, but Emmaus, um, you guys have been really open and um, gracious in my preaching as I'm learning and really young even in that. Um, and so thank you. I, I, really, I don't want you guys to miss that. I'm really grateful that you guys would be um, just open to, to hearing me and to helping me learn how to do this and as I kind of figure out what the, my style is and things like that, right? So today we will be in chapter three of the book of John, right? And Joel gave us a little bit of recap, but I'll, I'll kind of go over it again since I wrote some notes on that. Um, I love, just like Joel was talking about, I love that we are going verse by verse, right? Um, because we really do get to see some different things uh, thematically, like Joel was talking about. We get to see some repetition even. Uh, and if you're anything like me, sometimes you need to be told the same thing again and again and again until it transforms you. Uh, and so John is gonna be doing that over the next couple of years, um, which I think will probably take a couple of years um, at our rate. Um, and that's great because God is gonna be in, present in that and we're really excited. And so we're in, the chap we're in chapter three of the book John. And so uh, in chapter one, which is like probably some of the greatest words ever written, uh, was, does anybody actually remember what animal we kind of related to John? What was it? What's the animal that was like painted next to him? Eagle, right. So we see in, in, in chapter one, kind of John going to some really lofty heights and he's in the beginning of the word, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, not anything made was made. Right, And so kind of basically, some commentators that I read, which is beautiful, was saying like, John essentially is starting a new Genesis over. Right? So in, in John chapter one, you can have a new beginning in Christ. That's amazing. And then we kind of meet uh, John the Baptist, who the whole purpose of his life was to make much of Christ. And he's kind of an interesting dude. I don't know if we find out in that text that he likes eating crickets, but he likes eating crickets, right? 
Uh, and, then, and then we, we find ourselves, uh, as Johannes preached a couple weeks ago, uh, at the wedding of Canaan. This is the first sign that we have in the book of John. And so as we're talking about repetition and themes, that's one of them is that there's seven signs in the book of John that Jesus is performing to show things about himself and things uh, to, be, to be had in the future. And then last week, Joel touched on Jesus uh, cleansing the temple, which, I mean, this is really astounding, actually, but just the fact that Jesus is saying, hey, you can tear up that temple, and in three days, I'll build it back up, just because I'm the temple. I'm actually the place where heaven and earth meet together. That's amazing. That would be completely ridiculous to hear, actually. And so, and that's where we are. We're on the heels of that in John chapter 3. But I don't want to miss the season that we actually find ourselves in, uh, as Joel's saying, in the church calendar. And, and I know that some of you guys are doing some different things for Advent uh, with your families. Um, and one of the beautiful things about Advent is that Christmas doesn't just, if you, if you follow Advent and if you're kind of working through Advent as a family, Christmas isn't something that just gets there and you kind of miss it right? And that was my life. I kind of actually don't love Christmas uh, because oftentimes I wouldn't take the time to prepare. And Advent is us making space for the coming King, right? And so I recently got married. A lot of you guys know that. Uh, and a lot of the beginning stages of marriage and even engagement is making preparations for someone else, Right, so Alexa was in this house and she was used to having all of the closet space and slowly over time, she had to make room for someone else, right? She had to make room, she had to limit her closet space, which, um, you know, what does James say about suffering, right? That it's supposed to provide something for us and so Alexa will be blessed. But also, she'll tell you, she'll tell you the truth and not because I'm great, but because really, a, a shared life is better in some ways. Um, but even though you're making room and that's a sacrifice and you're kind of, it's really costly, when that other person gets there, it's better. And the same thing's true about Jesus, that even though we might have to rearrange some things, and for some people it might be as simple as rearranging a closet or a room, uh, but for some other folks it might be like renovating a whole house, right? And that's hard. And we're with you in that as well. And so... In this Advent season, I hope that you can have some space in your life to make some room for Jesus. And so I hope with this text, we can kind of see that that's happening for Nicodemus, and hopefully that happens for uh, you as well. So let's dive into the text. We're going to be in John chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 1. I'll give you guys a couple of moments to get there. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, there's one, there should be one in the seat back in front of you. And... Um, if you don't have one, please take that home, actually, as a gift. So, John chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to go all the way to verse 21. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. 
Do not marvel at what I said to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered, Are you the teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one, can, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and that the people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true and comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for, for these next couple moments um, to just look at, at your word. I pray that you would help us, that you would illuminate things in our hearts and in our, in our minds, and that you would give us a vision to see um, who you are and uh, what you're doing in, in this world, Father. Uh, and I pray that you would help me as I uh, teach that, you, that my words would not be the things that people remember, but Father, that your word would be um, penetrated deep into people's hearts. And that can only happen actually by your spirit. And so I pray that that would happen by the power of your spirit and in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this is the first time in the book of John that we are introduced to Pharisees, actually. And so we meet a guy by the name of Nicodemus. And right off the bat, we find out some things about him, right? Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, so Nicodemus was a Pharisee, but not only was he a Pharisee, just like a regular Pharisee, he was also a ruler of the Jews. And so it meant that he was part of a council, uh, and that council was the ruling Sanhedrin, right? And so with being part of that council meant that there was some status that came with that. And not only was there some status, there was also some wealth, right? So he was a wealthy guy, but it also means, it means that he had some influence, Right? So he's not coming uh, as a guy that you know, is kind of down there in the Pharisees, but really he has some influence. And so to be in Nicodemus' place was actually to be uh, of extreme privilege, right? because a lot of that is not things that he did of his own accord. Right? Being a Pharisee meant that you were born into the right family. And how much did you have to do uh, with your own birth? Not much, Right? And so not only was he born into the right family, he was also born into the right class, right? So his family had some money. And not only was he born into the right class, he was actually raised in the right training, right? And so he had all the things that he needed, right class, right family, right education, right place, right time, right tribe, right tradition. And this is the guy that comes to Jesus. And unlike the other times we actually see Pharisees come to Jesus, um, this is kind of 
mild in some ways. He's not coming to Jesus in a really kind of boastful way. He could because he's got all these categories about him. But he comes to him at night. And the first words that he tells Jesus is, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that comes from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Right? So here comes this guy with extreme privilege who's got the influence coming to Jesus who doesn't have the same proper training and saying, hey, I know that you're actually from God. This isn't actually how we encounter the Pharisees most of the time in the scriptures. And so when you guys think about Pharisees, what's the first thing that, you might, that might come to your mind? For me, it was oftentimes thinking that the Pharisees were these people that were part of this works-based religion, right? That if they did the thing that they were supposed to do, then they would actually go into the kingdom of heaven. They would earn their spot. But actually, that's not really um, the proper way, I think, to view it, especially in regards to Nicodemus, because there's nothing that he did to earn being born into the right family, right? And so he was outworking his identity because he was born into the right family. And as I was studying um, this text I understood that being part of the right family meant that you got the right inheritance, right? And so for a Jewish person, being born into that family meant that you already had the kingdom of God. So why would he try to earn it, right? right? And so what, so then, so then that begs kind of the question, why do they care so much about the law? Yes. But they did. They cared about the law. Even though they didn't have to care about the law to earn their salvation, they cared about the law because they said, this is who I am. This is part of my tradition. And they wanted to win people over to that. They wanted Israel to be pure. Not to be pure in the way of earning, but to be pure before the kingdom of God came. Because that was also their expectancy, that they were waiting for the kingdom of God to come into this world. And they missed the point. They almost had it right. But oftentimes, the thing that actually causes them to butt heads with Jesus is their lack of love, right? Jesus understood that, you know, Jesus understood the law because he, what what was he? He was the fulfillment of the law. He didn't hate the law. But what's the most important commandment to Jesus? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do not have love, but you follow the law, that's going to really butt heads with Jesus. It's not going to work, and so this is where some of the tension is found within the Pharisees in Jesus. And so we'll read verses one through three uh, again. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. You, no one can do these things unless God is with him. And what was Jesus' response to him? He said, truly, truly. That's Jesus kind of doubling down like, hey, pay attention. Truly, truly, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus takes it to a new plane of existence for Nicodemus. He comes to him as an observer. He says, I see what you're doing. It must be from God. And he says, you can't even see what I'm doing because you have to be born again to even see the kingdom. So here's the first point. And there's really kind of just three main points in this text for me. Um, Is that Jesus comes to offer new birth. This is when we are introduced to the theme of new birth. 
Jesus comes to offer new birth. And this is good news for you and I, but was it good news for Nicodemus? I mean, imagine, like really, let's try to put ourselves into his situation. He's born, and he's, he's growing up, and his whole life people are telling him, guess what, Nicodemus, you are part of the chosen race. You are in the right family. You are in the right tribe. You're going to get the right education. All these things are going to be yours, and guess what? You are going to inherit the kingdom. Yes. Now imagine you grow up your whole life thinking that. No one really challenges that because that's really what's going to happen for you. And all of this information to be in your head, in your heart, and you believe it, and then you encounter Jesus and and he says, hey, guess what? It's not about being born of the right family. It's about being born from above. It's about being born again. That would be devastating. I can't imagine what that would be like. Like years and years and like history, like ancestors, all those things, years and years and years of someone telling you that for Jesus just to say, unless you're born again, guess what, buddy? You're never going to inherit the kingdom. You can't even see it. Being born of Abraham isn't going to get you in the kingdom. Being born again was. Being born not just of flesh, but from above. And so a quick aside here, uh, you know, that's in some ways good news because being born from a certain family uh, won't get you into the kingdom. But guess what? Being born into a certain family won't stop you from coming to the kingdom, right? right? And so I don't know what your history is. I don't know what your family is like, but it doesn't matter where you come from. doesn't matter where your parents messed up. doesn't matter where their parents messed up. In Christ, you can be born again. That one's for free. And so what is Nicodemus' response? Read verse 4. He says, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? This gets kind of weird. Uh, you know, he, he's pretty honest with Jesus. He's like, I kind of only understand that physically. And all the moms in the room are kind of like, yeah, that doesn't work, I don't think. Uh, so we shouldn't do that thing. But what's the root of his question? The root of that question, you know, can I, can I do this again, is, is really this question. Can we really start over? Because I don't think he's really being sarcastic. I think he's trying to understand Jesus as best as he can. And he's asking him, can we really start over? I mean, this is an extremely daunting question for someone like Nicodemus, who his whole life he was taught a certain thing, and that certain thing led to another thing, and that certain thing led to inheritance. And now you're saying, I have to start over. Can that even really happen? And so maybe you're like Nicodemus. This is something actually that me and Alexa actually talk about a lot in our lives. Uh, And maybe you had certain ideas about Jesus. And and maybe you even had what you thought in your mind was the right theology about Jesus. You were part of the right tribe. But then Jesus in recent time has come and he's upended everything that you've thought about him. And, and here's the, the thing. Maybe that's not your fault. I, I don't think it's actually your fault. Sometimes it's just what was given to us because our faith is received. Right. 
That's, 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 that's a humble thing. And so maybe it's not your fault, but maybe you're like me and Alexa, where a couple years ago, you're introduced to this King Jesus gospel, and it is wrecking your life. Because it's saying, this is the way things used to be. This is how I was raised. Now you're going to tell me it's different? Yes. Can we really start over? Yes. That's the question that we ask. That's the question, actually, that I think is the biggest question in American Christianity right now is like, can we start over? The things that we got wrong, can we start over? And what would Jesus say to that? You can, yes. and you have to. Yes. You can, and you have to. Because when you encounter the King Jesus, he's going to affect every aspect of your life. He actually doesn't want you to think that his good news is like a ticket for later that you put in your back pocket. He wants to be the whole thing of your life. He wants to be king over everything. And that has massive implications for how you live your lives, for how you view others. And so maybe kind of drawn back to that admin point, and I think I, you know, Zach, I don't know where you're at, Zach. We've talked before in the car about how, and, and I think hopefully you're not mad at me for saying this, but we both agreed that there was a point in time where we encountered this King Jesus gospel, and the house that we had built around him wasn't big enough. Do you remember that? Yes. Like, we had to knock down some walls. And so in Christ, you can start over, and you might have to, yes. right? Yes. You might have to knock down some walls. You might have to remove an island. You might have to extend the house a little bit. But can we really start over? The answer in Christ is yes, you can. Verses 5 through 8. Jesus answered to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said this to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. So this section is a little bit confusing, I bet. What is Jesus talking about flesh and water? Is he talk- and, and, and it's kind of confusing, actually, for some commentators because there's a little bit of disagreement about what he's saying. Some people said, well, he's obviously talking about baptism, right, because there's, like, a little bit of water in there. Or maybe he's actually talking about, like, natural birth because there's some stuff involved in that, some water-type things. I don't know. I, don't, I was a baby once, but I don't remember that. Um, but the option that I landed on uh, was one that actually was saying that Jesus was drawing back to something in Ezekiel, right? And so I'll turn there. You can if you want to. Uh, it's in Ezekiel chapter 36. And then we're going to be reading verses 20, 25 through 27. This is a prophecy that says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. 
And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so the second point of this is that not not only Jesus comes to give new birth, but what, what obviously comes with new birth is a new life. We're not going to be born again and live the same life. That's not what Jesus has intended for us. He's going to put a new heart in you. He's going to put a heart of flesh. And you're going to be able to obey Jesus. Why? Because the Spirit will help you, right? And, and I think that's kind of the scary thing sometimes with tradition is that we think, well, the tradition is this. And sometimes we tamp down the Spirit, so I can't listen to the Spirit, because my tradition is this, and if you listen to the Spirit too much, it's a little bit wild. It might put you in some uncomfortable situations, but we cannot walk only by tradition. That doesn't mean that we throw away tradition, but it means that we cannot only walk by tradition, we also walk by the Spirit. The Spirit guides our life when we encounter the people around us. And so Jesus comes to bring new life. In this passage in Ezekiel, the, the setting is a, is a desert, So what is water in that situation? It's life. Jesus has come to bring new life. Anybody watch MTV growing up? Raise your hands. Did anybody watch, and this is actually an illustration that Alexa helped me with. Has anybody watched The Hills? Anybody watch? This is actually confession and assurance. Let's, (laughs) Father, forgive them. No. You watch The Hills, Joe? All right, everybody, let's lay our hands on Joel. All right, so The Hills. It was the show about um, these fancy ladies, I think, which is actually every show on, on TV now. But the show about these fancy, like, 20-year-olds that are living in Los Angeles, and they're kind of, you know, living the high life and doing their thing, the fashion. And um, one of the main girls, her name is Whitney. Her name is Whitney. And... Um, she was actually interviewing for a new job at like this really high-end fashion uh, company. And, uh, and you know how daunting that would probably be. But this lady that's interviewing her uh, is kind of telling her like, hey, I think this is going to work out. I really think that you're going to be a great fit. And Whitney's like, oh, yeah, that's so exciting. <laughs> and, um, and then the lady kind of gets serious, right? And she says, but guess what? Your old life as you knew it is gone. Whatever you were doing before, whatever you were a part of before, gone. If you want to work at this company, it's gone. And so it's kind of like, oh, gosh, Whitney, what is she getting into? But then what does the lady finish off by saying? She says, but guess what? It's going to be replaced with a new life, and it's going to be even better. And so obviously, I don't think fashion brings that into your life, but Jesus does. Jesus has that same conversation. He gets down with us and he says, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to let go of the old. But I'm going to replace it with something new and it's going to be better. I'll never use the hills again as a sermon illustration. (laughs) Whitney got me crying here. But what comes next? So Jesus brings a new birth. Jesus brings new life. But what comes with new life? What's the way that you experience new life? 
It's with new vision. Jesus comes to bring new vision. We see this in verse, five, in verse 3. He says, hey, Nicodemus, you cannot see the kingdom of God until you are born again. We need new vision to be in his kingdom, and he is willing to offer it to us. When we're born again, you get new sight, you get new eyeballs. One of my, my favorite videos on the internet, um, and so don't be next to me while I'm scrolling at work, but my favorite videos on the internet are when people that are colorblind, they get these new glasses, right? And so they've lived life kind of only seeing what they can. And then they get these new glasses, and what happens? They're, they start crying immediately. Yes. It never fails. And then I start crying, and I'm like, do I have the same glasses on? <laughs> what is going on? And I don't know why I'm crying so much today, but that's kind of what it's like. Maybe we are used to seeing some things a certain way, but then Jesus not only gives us new glasses, he gives us new eyes so that we can see the things that we were seeing incorrectly in the right light, in the right color, in the right way, because he's good to do that. And so I thought, what's a good illustration of this point? Or what's, what's a good connection to this? And it's actually Nicodemus and how Nicodemus was seeing things incorrectly. And so some of these might be obvious, some of these might not be obvious, so please bear with me. But there's three things that I can see, there's probably more, obviously, that Nicodemus was seeing incorrectly, but through Christ, through Christ's new vision, we can see them in the right light. The first thing is the way that he talks to Jesus. How does he come to Jesus? He says, teacher. He says, teacher, you must come from God. And so that's really great that Jesus was just a teacher, but he didn't understand that Jesus was also king. He could not see Jesus with his crown. He only saw Jesus as a teacher. And so, you know, C.S. Lewis has a really famous illustration for this. You know, you probably know it, is that he says Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And in this case, Jesus is either a teacher, a liar, a lunatic, or king. And so if you have new vision, you will see that he is king, and that changes everything. We get new sight. We get new vision when we are born again. What else did he miss that we can see now? Is the timing of the kingdom. So for Jewish people, it was about following these ancestral codes. It was about doing these things because eventually the kingdom will come at a future date. And so he missed the timing of the kingdom because it's going to be later. But who was standing in front of him? The king of that kingdom. And so it's not just, the kingdom is not just something for later. We have to understand that. The kingdom is not just something for later. It's also for now. And I'm going to show you two places where I think we can see this clearly. Uh, Mark chapter 1. You don't have to turn there. I'll turn there. Uh, Mark chapter 1. We're going to read verses 14 and 15. This is Jesus as he is beginning his ministry. Not after the cross, but as he's beginning the ministry. This is what he says. He says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
He hadn't even gone to the cross yet. I don't even know what that really fully means. That's amazing to me. That this is the words that he would say at the beginning of his ministry. And so the cross is extremely important, but so is Jesus' life. So with the new birth, we will see that the kingdom is here now, not just later. Matthew 12, you don't have to turn there. Matthew 12, I'm going to read verse 28. Jesus says, um, in a really lengthy uh, discourse about a man with a withered hand, this is kind of at the end of it, he says, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, which he just did, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Imagine hearing that as a Pharisee. Your whole life you're thinking, it's later, it's later. I hope it comes now. But then it comes right there in your face and it says, hey, the kingdom is now. The kingdom of God has come upon you. With With being born again, we get new vision to see the kingdom at the, at the right time. Yes. To see that the kingdom has not, it's not here fully, but it's arrived. And so we can enter into that. Yes. We don't have to wait until later to enter into the kingdom. Right. You can see the kingdom now today if you're born again. Yes, that's right. So new vision helps us see Jesus is king. New vision helps us see the timing of the kingdom correctly. But what is new vision? And this one is the one that's a little bit more, um, you might have to run with me with it. Is that new vision actually helps us see kingdom people correctly. What do I mean by that? Again, imagine you're Nicodemus. And your whole life, you're born into this family and you're into the right class, right family, right tradition, right all these things. For the Jewish person, being born of Abrahamic descent meant that you inherited the kingdom. What is that statement? When I think about that statement, I would say, well, it's about following these laws, or it's about God. But actually, what is that statement? And, Jesus, and, and the scripture uses it a lot. It says that you are a chosen race. That is also like an understanding of ethnicity, right? That for them, I mean, and and that's the thing. It's not like the intentions were bad. Those are some of the things that God was telling them, that you are a chosen race. But if you're told that your whole life, you know what sin has the opportunity to do? It has an opportunity to warp that on its head and say, I am the chosen race, therefore you're not the chosen race. And so maybe some people are sitting here and they're thinking, man, we're talking about racism again. Well, guess what? They were talking about it back then. It hasn't changed, but in the kingdom of God, if we have new vision, we are able to see people of different ethnicity than you and me as people of the kingdom. Whether their culture is different or not, whether they do things a little bit differently than you and I might, they are still part of the kingdom. We don't have to say, you're a chosen race anymore. One of the guys that I follow on Twitter, 
I would recommend not following him if you're not over the age of 18. His name is Shea Serrano. He is a really funny author. Uh, he's a, he's a, a Mexican guy that lives in San Antonio, and he's got a couple New York, he actually has three New York Times bestsellers, uh, three different books, and he's actually the first Mexican-American to ever do that. But aside from that, he's a really funny guy, like extremely funny. And one of the funniest things that he does uh, is that he posts these pictures of different Mexican cuisine or, you know, Cheetos or something, and he says, it's always the same caption. The caption is always, Mexicans are perfect. Mexicans are perfect. And I read that and I say, they are. I see the Carnegie Sala tacos and I see, yeah, Mexicans are perfect. And so you see what that does to me when I just see a tweet? When I see a tweet about some food that says, you know, some tamales and say, Mexicans are perfect, and like, dang right they are. I feel that in my heart. Imagine if your whole life you were taught you are a chosen race. How much would that affect the way you view other people? Because if Mexicans are perfect in Chase Serrano's world, that might mean that someone else might not be perfect. But that's not the kingdom. With Jesus' new vision, we are able to see people of different ethnicities with the same, that we can say they're made in the same image of God and they have also inherited the kingdom. We ought not be scared of people with differences. That's not what kingdom people do. And then, this is amazing. Revelations, and some of you guys know this. I think Johann's preached on this. Revelations 7, 9. This is like one of the greatest promises to me, actually. Is that after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and every tribe, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our Lord who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That is our destiny if you're in the kingdom. The destiny for people of kingdom is ethnic harmony. And the new birth that gives us the new life, that gives us the new vision, gives us the capacity to see people for who they are. It's not being colorblind, actually. It's about being able to recognize the differences that people have and still be able to place dignity upon them because they are of the kingdom. And it's possible. And, and one of the things that we're doing as a house church, we're going through this book, and uh, after every session, we say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What? If we actually understood the gravity of that prayer, it would not let, like nations would not let us pray that. Rulers would not let us pray that because of how it changes everything. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. If we're willing to pray that, let's be willing to live in that, as uncomfortable as it is. Because guess what? You getting rid of your old life means you're getting a new life that's better. And new brothers and sisters. So new birth, new life, and new vision. Those are the things that Jesus brings. But you know, what's one of the ways that that's possible? Verses 9 through 21. I won't go super long here, I promise. Um, Again, John chapter 3, verse 9 through 21. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? 
That's a crazy question. I mean, I know, maybe you're sitting here, maybe, and I've had this question too. Not only is that question, can we really start over daunting, but so is that question. How can these things be? Jesus, really, how can these things be? I was part of this tradition. I was doing this the whole time. How can this be the thing that you're telling me? Wild. Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And then Jesus goes into this crazy story. We're not going to actually go into it in Numbers, where Moses and the people of Israel, they were actually sinning against God. And so God said, I'm going to send something for you. And they started getting sick. And people were saying, Moses, please do something about this. Please pray to God because this is terrible. And so what does Moses do? He, he puts a serpent on a stick and he says, whoever looks upon this serpent will be healed. It's like a crazy act of repentance that even though you're sinning against God, God would give you an opportunity to look up and be healed. And so this, that's in verse 14. And as, as, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. In the same way that Moses lifted up the serpent in the Old Testament, God is going to lift up Jesus on the cross that whoever looks at him and believes in his name will be saved. That's possible today if you don't have that. And then we get to the most famous verses uh, in all of scripture. I mean, I feel like I knew this verse like year one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so when you say that verse, what do you think? I learned this verse when I was like in, is anybody else an RA in here? A royal ambassador? I got some RAs. you have a card on you? I don't have my card on me. But Royal Ambassadors was this thing that we would do at my, my mom's church where we would memorize these scriptures, and that was like one of the main scriptures, obviously. And so I had this memorized, and I, I could do it in my sleep right now. I could do it backwards, probably. But the crazy thing about it, even though I knew this first and I had it memorized in my heart, I made that verse about me. Did anybody else do that? Like when we think about that verse, John 3.16, and like, you know, Tim Tebow wears it. Well, I think... Dang, Tim Tebow, he's talking about me. Jesus loves me. And Jesus, and not only that, God loves me, but God loves me a ton. That's what we usually think. God loves me a ton. He loves me so much. He sent his son. Joel, Joel expanded on this last time, but that so in that verse, for God so loved the world, is not actually about magnitude. It's not about how much God loves you. It's actually in what way God loves you. God loves you in what way? By sending his son. God loves you by sending his son to you. And what does it say? For God so loved your souls. What does it say? For God so loved the world. 
The world in Greek is translated as cosmos. And unfortunately, cosmos actually has like seven different definitions. Some natural, some about humanity, some just about fallen humanity. And there's really a wide array of what people think about that one. But, but one of the things that is clear is that God loves the people of the world. Yes. He doesn't just love the souls of the world. He loves the people. That's material. Yes. That's, right. That's material. He's not waiting to hit reset on this thing and throw it away. God loves the world. Yes. In what way that he would send his son that, that if you could look upon him like they did the serpent before, and, and before it was only for the Israelites that would look upon the serpent, but now it's for everyone to look upon Jesus, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, to look upon Jesus on the cross and be saved. Yes. For God so loved the world. How many of us think that even that verse is talking about how mad God is about us? I I thought that even growing up as I memorized it. Like, this is just, God's mad and he had to send Jesus. And even though that verse says loved, but he's mad. He's kind of mad. One of the commentaries that I was reading, I mean, I can't really put it better, so I'm going to read it. He says, the imaginative picture used by many to express the work of Christ is that Jesus had died in order to placate an angry God. Whereas the cross expresses the love of Christ for us. Yes. And in his work, God appeases God, and in this, God appeases his wrath. That's not what's happening, right? This makes God an opponent and an adversary while Jesus is the ally. I would hate God because he's mad at me. But no, this is not what John says in 3.16. He says, God so loved the world. The work of Christ is God at work. That is God saving the world. That is God extending himself into the condition of our humanity, not just our souls, into the condition of our humanity and bringing about reconciliation. The center of this error is a deficient view of the Trinity, or more precisely, a deficient understanding of what the church's earliest theologians were trying to express at the Council of Nicaea. Christ was not created. There was no time in history when he was not. And so he enjoys an, ex- an internal existence precisely like God. Further, he shares the very essence of being God. Why is this important? Because it means that God himself is on our side. When's the last time you thought about God being on your side? He is not mad at you today. As bad as you've screwed it up, he's not mad. He loves you. And if you could, if you could take away one thing is, is that. Is that actually, when, when we have people over in our, in our house, the last thing that we pray for them is that they would know that God loves them in a really tangible way because we screw up all the time. And as you leave my house, you're going to screw up. It happens. And as you leave your house, I'm going to screw up. But God loves us. So he goes on to say, this understanding is expressed repeatedly by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 19, when he describes the goodness of God in rescuing us and remarks, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God 
was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Today, God's not counting your sins against you. And he has committed to us the, that message of reconciliation. Do you notice that? He, he's not committed to us that message of soul salvation for later. He has committed to us that message of reconciliation. For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's material. When when it says something like all things were made through him, why would Jesus not care about the world? It doesn't make any sense. Why did I think that? The cross is thus God's work. Jesus Christ came to the earth not in order to change God's mind. He came to express God's mind. That's right. And so we'll, we'll close uh, with this last point. Uh, in John chapter 3 again, I want us to notice one thing. And this is part of the motifs that John kind of uses throughout his... Um, book, uh, and it's this motif of like lightness, light and darkness, right? Anybody notice where Nicodemus came to him? What time of day? It was night. And so that's not actually talking about like midnight. It's talking about like a spiritual reality for Nicodemus. Like when he came to Jesus, he was in the dark. Um, verse, let's see, verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the darkness and Jesus enters into that darkness. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know if you think that you have to like form some light out of your own heart to come to Jesus. Like I have to get, I have to form this thing in my life and I have to get the light in my own. No, no, no. Where is the light coming from? It's coming from somewhere else. So Jesus is entering into the darkness. A new dawn is breaking through. Has anybody ever seen, um, and I know you guys have, The Hobbit? Don't you love The Hobbit, Carrie? You like it? Somebody loves it in here. Who is it? Bobby? Bobby loves The Hobbit. One of the cool scenes in The Hobbit, if you haven't seen it, it's been like five years, so I don't feel bad for you, uh, is this time where Bilbo was hanging out with the other uh, small guys. I forgot what their names are. I'm not like super. Um, the other dwarves. And then they get kind of caught up with some, is that what they're called? That's what they're called in the book, right? Well, I, the thing I read today said dwarves. Politically correct. I'm so sorry. So anyways, so Bilbo's hanging out, not Jesus, Bilbo's hanging out with the other hobbits. Somebody said dwarves. Bobby? Bilbo's a hobbit. Say that again? There are dwarves. Okay, so anyways, Bilbo's hanging out with his homies, right? And they get caught up with some trolls. And the only way that trolls are actually powerful in that universe is in the dark. And so they kind of get involved with them, and the trolls, they actually can't really see, but they grab some of the other homies, and 
They start to put them on a fire, right? Like they're going to cook them. Like we're going to eat today. We're going to eat today. But the thing that happens is that the second that those trolls see light, it, it like hurts them. It like, it like kind of medusas them. Like they get stuck in these rock formations. And so Bilbo is trying to like, you know, come up with something and he's trying to like save these other guys. And then a dawn breaks through from somewhere else. He didn't do anything in that moment to bring the light. Gandalf comes and he breaks a rock and the light goes and it enters into that darkness from somewhere else. The light is not supposed to come from within you. It's supposed to come from somewhere else. That's how light works. Light has its best effect in the darkness. So don't think that you have to come to Jesus when you figure it out. Come to him in the night. He will enter into your darkness and he will light your life up. For real. And he, I mean, he probably won't let you stay there. I'm going to skip ahead to John 19. Hopefully Joel thinks that's okay. It's okay. It'll be like five years till we get there. He'll forget. John 19, Nicodemus, well, in John 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the dark, but does he, does he stay there? That's the question. Does he stay there? This is after um, Jesus' death on the cross, and he's buried in John 19. Uh, we get reintroduced to some characters. Verse 38 says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. And then somebody else comes around. Who is it? Nicodemus. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and they bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of the preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Do you think that Nicodemus finally saw Jesus for who he was in that moment? He had an encounter with Jesus in John 3, and Jesus challenged everything. And I, I mean, I think that Nicodemus was given new birth. He was given a new life, and he was given a new vision to see Jesus for who he was because he was willing to not care about what the Jewish people might think, but he was going to go to his king and take care of him. Yes. And so if you're in darkness today, your story doesn't have to end in John 3. Your story can end like John 19. You can be coming to Jesus and see him for who he really is, and the Spirit will help you, I think. Yes. So that's the invitation for today, actually. is not necessarily you doing all these other things but if you are a believer, is to actually step into the identity that God already has for you. You would clean up your glasses that might be a little bit foggy. Or if you don't have that, that you would ask him to give you that, that you would look upon the sun and say, Father, give me a new life. Let me be born again. Can we really start over? In Christ, the answer is yes, always yes. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this text. Thank you so much that you are so gracious to us, that you love us, that you extend mercy upon us, that you don't leave us in the darkness. But you are light.
Father, I pray that for people in this room, whatever situation they find themselves in, in their hearts, they would be able to, to come to you and that you would, you would be with them. You would enter into their darkness and, and just show them how much you love them. And I pray that that would happen by the power of your spirit and in Jesus' name, amen.